sick. I'm sick here now. I confuse melancholy with depression sometimes. Mm-hmm. You see. Why don't you run along now, friend? The dessert is getting cold. I'm sick. Stay that way. I'm sick and I'm in love. You seem the sort of person who confuses the two. That's right. That's the first time you've been right. I confuse the two and I don't care. Hey. Hey! I love you. I, I love you and I, I'm, I'm sick. I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm getting corrective oral surgery tomorrow for my teeth. I love you, Brad. Brad, the bartender. You want to love me back? I'll be good to you. I'll be goddamn good for you. I won't be mad if you don't know who said what. I will punish Brad. you if you get the answer wrong. I can teach and tell you. a special Sam secret John. crush over there, I think. Don't you too lovely. shut you might get hurt. Mind your own business. Gently, son. Brad, I know you don't love me now. It's a dangerous thing to confuse children with angels. You want to know the common element for the entire group? Like he asked? I'll tell you the answer. I'll tell you, because I had that one. I had that, that question. I, carbon. Carbon in pencil lead is in the form of graphite. In coal, it's mixed up with other impurities. And in the diamond, it's in hard form. Well, all we really wanted to know was the common element, Donnie, but thank you for all that unnecessary knowledge. <laughs> Kids. Head so full of useless knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. And the book says we may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. And no, it is not dangerous to confuse children with angels. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 225, and I'm your host, Lee. I'm quietly judging you, Russell. Joined by my co-host, Daniel. You lost me with the last couple of cocktail words spoken, my boy, Harper. How you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm unfortunately not nearly as cool as uh, Henry Gibson sitting in a bar. But I, I don't think anyone is, is cool. Who is, yeah. I mean, he's, he's old man with a pompadour going on. I mean, yeah. you got to give him some credit. Jealousy. <laughs> Pro- probably closer to William H. Macy in that scene, but, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, he's got his strong points, too. Yeah. And I need to get those red glasses. That's that's what we need. Yeah. They're gorgeous. Yeah. And that dye job he's got going on, too. That's it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to uh, my friends at the Solid Six podcast. They uh, they uh, tweeted me tonight. Uh, that, that, that that dye job on Quiz Boy is uh, something amazing. Bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, we are also joined by our new 
official co-host. It's been, yeah. it's been made official. We decided we're bringing her on. Lee, that intangible joy in the pit of uh, your stomach, Hardy. How are you doing, sir? I feel or like madam, I'm... actually. You're not a sir. Call me whatever you want. Mm. Um... <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, I am. I am. A, yeah. No, I am. I'm she, her, they. So uh, I actually had a friend. I just had a friend who just came out as uh, they came out as non-binary. So I have a real respect for pronouns. And so I do joke about that, but I do not want to in a general sense because, yeah, mm-hmm. I love those people and I absolutely love their stories. So if I can bring more education to it, I want to. And you're doing fine? You're doing all right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Totally different topic. But yeah, absolutely. She has uh, confessed to me that she's already had several rum drinks tonight. So uh, I'm a little, I'm a a little intoxicated. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. That's that's how that's how we roll here. Yeah. (laughs) You know, she's a co-host, an official (laughs) co-host. Let's get drunk. Oh, I only only had four. I only had four drinks before I started here. Yeah. Well, you know, my drinks, my drinks are rather large. They're large tonight. So, well, you know. Yeah. They are, yes. (laughs) And if you recognize the opening clip and, you know, if you actually read the title of the podcast, we are doing Magnolia from 1999, Paul Thomas Anderson. And I can't believe this movie is 20 fucking years old. That. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was, it went into wide release in, I think, January 7th of 2000. It was technically released in late 1999, but yeah. Like, I would have seen this 21. right about exactly 21 years ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it will be 22 this year. I feel. Sh- please don't. <laughs> I, I already feel old enough as it is. Um, it makes me feel old. Hopefully. <laughs> we're old men. Hello. Come on. You know. Oh, sorry. I heard the Lee part. That was it. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, before we get into stuff, we have no uh, comments, you know. Our uh, listeners have been silent the last little while. I I will say I have gotten a lot of comments on our Buster Scruggs episode on YouTube. <laughs> None of them good. None of them good. Fair enough. They all they all want to know where the movie is or they're calling us the 600 F word, I'm sure. It almost feels like our pod like episodes of our podcast is suddenly show up in different parts of the world somehow like they're dropped like some really awful care package that nobody wants because (laughs) because you'll get like these blocks of weeks where they're all in one certain language and then they move to another part of the world where they're all (laughs) some other certain language and they're all swear words at us in that language that's great so we're not going to bother reading the terrible comments on the Buster Scruggs video no 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 no. Uh, yeah so we'll just move on to what we've watched in the last little while and and um, I'll throw over to you first there, uh, Daniel. Yeah, I just have one. Uh, it's really just an advertisement for something you can go listen to on my Patreon page. Yeah. Uh, because I am now producing content on my Patreon uh, uh, for, I don't, uh, I don't speak German. And uh, that is, I watched the 1971 Peter Watkins film, Punishment Park. Oh, yeah. um, and this is a uh, low-budget uh, independent film uh, about this sort of like alternate present uh, in which uh, dissidents from the Vietnam War are kind of forced into this uh, penal 
you know, sort, sort of a, a punishment system by which they are uh, allowed to um, try to survive in a uh, harsh environment in the American Southwest in the desert uh, for three days uh, while evading capture uh, in order to avoid uh, lengthy prison sentences for protesting the Vietnam War um, and other such things. Um, the film is uh, brilliant. My co-host Jack and I spent uh, about 90 minutes uh, discussing what it is and the uh, kind of the history of how it uh, interacts with uh, kind of the leftist uh, movements in the U.S. then and now <laughs> And how it doesn't uh, doesn't seem to it's it's a it's an excellent film but very bleak in terms of what it implies for uh, our future and Joe Biden's America. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, go uh, give me a dollar on Patreon uh, and you can listen to that. Um, also, we will probably just make make that free here in a couple of months. But uh, the film is amazing and uh, definitely I had not heard of it until like uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it is definitely you can find it on YouTube. It is worth a watch for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I have seen it. Uh, it was quite a while ago, but I have seen it, and then it is really good. I'll definitely check it out, though. I haven't seen it yet, so it's it's on my list, and it's on top of my list. Do you have anything you watch you want to talk about, uh, Lee? Um, I I have two movies that I watch that are I'm very passionate about. Uh, one was But I'm a Cheerleader. The other one was Mambo Italiano. Uh, I kind of want to group both together because it's uh, by the end, it's both about family kind of accepting uh, their children as homosexuals. Mm-hmm. So one is about how conversion therapy is complete fucking crap. And the other one is about uh, the idea of tradition and family and the bullshit when it comes to homosexuality. Like I just have such a passion for both of them because they've really show you just how important it is for family to just, say yes it's okay that you're homosexual that's it like it's 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 i love it i have a massive support for the lgbt community i brought it out so many times and i love these kinds of movies because it really shows how it can break a family but if you can really accept it like it can really bring families together so both those movies great they're awesome they end in just such a heartwarming way i love both of them and you were also mentioning how um with uh sort of off recording here how uh but i'm a cheerleader kind of takes like the the light touch with the serious subject matter to a certain degree where it does to help to help like you know ease you know the sort of normie kind of viewer yeah because i don't think people realize how bad conversion therapy is i took an ethics class in summer and it was talking about how to treat anybody like especially in behavioral therapy like how you're supposed to treat people and the big thing is is you're not supposed to force uh, a stop to a behavior that is not natural and and homosexuality is very natural and a lot of people want to stop it because priests say it's not natural and it's not like they're not educated and they don't know how to do it like um aba is very studied it's very much a career it's very much something that people need to know what they're doing and this is a bunch of people who are priests and believe that uh, behavior should be stopped and they do it in a way they believe. So it's insanely harmful because even if it was a habit that normal, you and I think is normal, if it's not done properly, it can be insanely harmful. So if you take something that is something a part of somebody, it's insanely bad. So that's why I kind of loved it because it brought more of a bright side, or not bright side, a comedic side of saying, just stop 
Like, just please stop conversion therapy. I know in Canada now, it is completely banned. Like, all across mm-hmm. Canada, it is banned. Yeah. Jo- uh, Justin Trudeau yeah. banned it, and I am hugely grateful for that. People can have a hate on for him, but I stand by that decision, like, a thousand percent. Conversion therapy is, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's literally torture. It's child torture. It, it that's is. What it, it is. is. Yeah. 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 It's acceptable yeah. child torture in religious ways. Oh, my God. Don't even, know. Let's yeah, just no, we'll, we'll get off that. We'll get off that. Um, so, moving on to our film of tonight, which has nothing to do with such topics anyway. No, 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 no. But, uh, but before that, uh, I, I have a movie that is totally not nearly as not, serious. Not about as child serious. torture? No. no right. Well, right. it's actually about children torturing other people in, in a way. Oh, um, nice, nice. But it's, yeah. it's really fun. Uh, it's called Psycho Goreman. It's from 2020. Oh, yeah. uh, it's directed by Stephen Kozanski. Uh, he's part of the uh, was part of the Astron Six sort of group of filmmakers, and a lot of those people show up in the actual film, um, which was you know a Canadian production company that made a bunch of low budget exploitation movies. If you're not familiar with them, this is really cool. It's got sort of elements of uh, Masters of the Universe, Power Rangers, and even the Iron Giant to a certain extent in this, and it's basically about. These two siblings, these two young kids, they they dig up at one point the sarcophagus that is imprisoning this intergalactic warlord who is one of the most evil creatures in the universe, and he's been imprisoned on Earth. And uh, there's this gem that was, it's basically some of his essence that was part of him, and it's used to seal him in the in the coffin. And anyone who possesses the gem can control this evil fucking warlord dude who's just like all about, I'm going to rip your soul apart and destroy you and eat your parents and all this shit. It just so happens that this little girl who takes the gem off the sarcophagus and starts bossing this uh, monster around is a total sociopath. She is just, (laughs) as kids seem to be, you know, and she is just a monster herself. She's a bigger monster than he is in, in many regards. And it's just great. Like, so he's under the thrall of her. But at the same time, you know, even though he's compelled to do whatever she says, he's constantly barking threats at her, at her brother, at her parents, uh, at anybody they encounter. He occasionally kills some random people on the side, you know, when no one's looking kind of thing. And the gore is very over the top and and pro- it's all practical. It's it's just a fun kind of uh, throwback sort of comedy horror exploitation thing. Really good performances. The, the two young kids in, in the leads are amazing. And it's really worthwhile. I, I, uh, if, if you just want something fun, yeah, I don't have to think about. There's no big message or anything necessarily. <laughs> like the the family eventually comes together at the end or whatever, but the they're all crap people. Like they're they're all really terrible people. So there's no real like heartwarming message necessarily, and it's just a lot of fucking fun. It it was the probably the best thing to come out of the wake of 2020 because it was supposed to be released, but COVID basically killed its release. Like mm. COVID literally happened on the week that it was going to release where mm. everyone starts shutting shit down. And so we finally got a release and I hope it does really well because I love the, uh, Astron six guys. And, uh, I really love, uh, Steven Kostansky's uh, stuff and we'll eventually probably do some of his movies on this podcast. Uh, but, uh, it, it's well worth checking out. Yeah, this looks, this looks fun. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, so uh, we're going to take a really quick break, uh, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about Magnolia. Motion Picture Massacre is dedicated to exploitation, cult, grindhouse, and horror films from the last 7,500 fucking years. I don't fucking know. It's everything. If you're interested in that, check out motionpicturemassacre.com, or if you're on iTunes, search Motion Picture Massacre. And you'll find it. This has been your announcer, Cowardly Fuck Your Bags, signing off. Eat a dick. Okay, Magnolia from 1999. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a line to you from an opera. I want you to give me that line back in the language in which the opera was originally written. And for a bonus 250, uh, you can sing it. I'm Stanley Spector. There is the story of a boy genius. Willa Catherine, Thomas Kidd, Jean-Baptiste Paul And the game show host. I'm Jimmy Gator. Live from Burbank, California. First question for 25. This French playwright and actor joined the Béjar troupe of actors. And the ex-boy genius. I'm Chris Kidd, Smith. I used to be smart, now I'm just stupid. There is the story of the dying man. I'm Earl Partridge. I have a son, you know. You do? Uh, find him. I'm Frank T.J. Mackey. His lost son. What did he say? Because I am not going to take care of him. What does he want? And the dying man's wife. I'm Linda Partridge. I took care of him through this, Alan. What now, then? Me and him. Do you understand? There's no one else. No one else. The caretaker. Hello. I'm Phil Parma. See, this is uh, the scene of the movie where you help me out. And there is the story of a mother. I'm Rose Gator. You come home soon after the show. I love you. And the daughter. I'm Claudia Wilson Gator. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? And the police officer in law. I'm Officer Jim Curring. My life is very stressful, and I'd hope to have a relationship that is very calm and undemanding and loving. So if you are this person, please leave me a message at box number 82. And this will all make sense in the end. All right, and this is directed and written by Paul Thomas Anderson, and um, I think this is. <laughs> Let's see how far down this cast list you get. This is my question. I tried to I tried to truncate this quite a bit. This is this is interesting. Uh, there's there's, there's, there's too many there's too many people here. Um, so everyone, we got no. everyone who was in a movie in the '90s. That's who's in this movie. Let's just just let's just make it so that. 
if you don't know them, we will say it because that's less. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like three maybe <laughs> on those list. But um, so we got Jeremy Blackman as Stanley Specter. We got Tom Cruise as Frank. T.J. McKay, uh, Melinda Dillon as Rose Gator, Alfred Molina as Solomon Solomon, uh, Julianne Moore fucking looking smoking Gorgeous. beautiful in this fucking film as Linda Partridge, John C. Riley as Officer Jim Curring, uh, Melora Walters as Claudia Wilson Gator, Felicity Huffman as Cynthia, William H. Macy as Quiz Kid Donnie Smith, Louise Guzman as Louise, Louis. Uh, uh, Philip Baker Hall as Jimmy Gator, Thomas Jane as Young Jimmy, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Phil Parma, Jason Robards in his last role as Earl Partridge, and Ricky Jay as Burt Ramsey slash the narrator of this film. And that's as far as I'll go. Like uh, to try to put this cast in any sort of order is just it's beyond ridiculous because everyone pretty much gets equal time in this. Like it's a, it's a true ensemble. And, and although once we get into the discussion, I'll, I'll probably talk about how that's probably a mistake in a way, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but, uh, Daniel, do you have a synopsis? I was so going to write one and then I completely ran out of time. So no, I didn't. I know I did. I did. That's my fault. You were my like, fault. I'm going to do this, even though it shouldn't I'm be. I'm going to do it. I was going to, I was going to put the work in. And then oh, I watched yeah. the movie. I watched the movie last night and I was like, no, I've got all day Saturday. I've got all day Saturday to do it. And then I ended up having to go to work for like five I feel hours, like it's so. just a synopsis of like, it starts from the introduction that will make sense to you after you watch the end of the movie, but still won't make sense to you after the end of the movie. Mm, yeah, let, so let, let me let me try to wing it here. Okay, so you basically get this premise that a lot of weird coincidences happen, and maybe it's not a coincidence, who knows? And then you're introduced to all these characters over the course of one day. Over some the course of, them, of about... You, you, have an, you have an intro sequence, which is uh, mm-hmm. about eight minutes long, which yep. tells three stories that have, of... Um, coincidence or maybe not coincidence mm-hmm. um uh and then it cuts to uh, a long sequence of about 12 minutes which introduces every <laughs> single main character and sort of the general storylines that we're going to be following through the course of this one day in los angeles in the san Bernardino <laughs> valley um uh, among which are a game show host and his daughter and his wife <laughs> mm-hmm. and his son who's also a uh a uh, pre uh, pre internet uh, men's rights activist pickup artist guy mm-hmm. uh, played by Tom Cruise and the uh, fa- no, sorry TJ G- Mackey is not the he's the son of the uh, producer of the game show not the mm-hmm. actual game show host the producer of the game show who's Jason Robards has a nurse uh, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman who is perhaps the most caring individual who's ever been portrayed on film. Um, (laughs) And uh, Jason Robards characters, young wife uh, who was played by Julianne Moore, um, who is strung out on all kinds of drugs. Uh, And then uh, a cop, a police officer played by uh, John C. Riley, who uh, is looking for love in all the wrong places (laughs) on his, on his job. (laughs) Um, And uh, the, the, plot it's as as it is although this gets this gets truncated and we'll talk about this is uh essentially you start the film uh with uh jim curring john c character finding a dead body in a uh in a closet uh 
uh, on a on a routine call, and uh, he runs into a young boy who uh, describes this character known as the Worm, and ideally, like the the sort of the storyline originally was going to be we're going to sort of like meet all these people who are connected to this guy the worm and that's going to provide a little bit of a narrative arc yeah. and then that whole that whole subplot gets cut like it was supposed to be the film, it, it was know? supposed to be it was supposed to be Orlando Jones and his scenes Orlando got Jones cut. Orlando Jones is uh, he is in the movie but only from behind mm-hmm. and you only see him in a few shots he's the guy who um, is is he not the guy who runs in the rain like that that's actually his kid that's actually his son that's actually oh, okay. uh, Dixon the the young boy and what you learn if you know the the kind of the backstory here is that Marcy the uh, young woman at the beginning the the young African-American woman at the beginning is actually the mother of this of Orlando Jones's character who's the worm mm-hmm. and then Dixon the young boy who does the rap at the beginning is the worm's son right, right? okay but none of this is actually in the movie this is only like if you've read the original if you've read the script oh and kind of know the backstory <laughs> of it uh this was I have seen this movie many many times um, mm-hmm. you know this was uh. This was my all-time favorite movie for a number of years. I mean, for, for several it. years. Yeah. And just, just, um, and just, just for, just for clarity, there, uh, Lee, uh, you do not have to ever read the fucking script of the movie. No. <laughs> That's not a requirement. I feel like so I the, have to. Okay. No. Anyways, no. we'll wait till we get to like comments, but. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of want to. So there's a lot more to this movie. Um, there, there's, there's a whole lot. The, the themes are kind of fathers and sons and loneliness and coincidence and interconnection and disconnection. Child and, abuse. Um, child abuse. Yeah, there's a child ton of abuse. child abuse. Um, and I think we'll get into a lot of that discussion. Um, there is a, there is a reasonable plot summary on the Wikipedia page. If you want to like read through that, um, that's probably the, the way to go about it. But I'd really recommend. Oh, the movie you should see the movie Mm -hmm. so um but yeah uh actually so i will actually start with you daniel so when was the first time you watched this and uh what are your sort of general thoughts and and you know maybe i'm gonna try to hang back a little bit on this okay um at least at least in the beginning because i really i have so many thoughts that i can kind of just intersperse them from here and there like rewatching this last night was really a like it it taught me man i'm not 19 anymore because <laughs> i did <laughs> see this i saw this on theatrical release and this was one that i you know i had been i was kind of a budding movie geek when this came out i was really kind of reading in school news a lot and that's yeah, sort of same here and um i heard the title and, you know, people were saying, like, oh, this is going to be great. And I think I had seen Boogie Nights at that point, but wasn't, like, a huge – I wasn't, like, a huge Boogie Nights guy. Like, I liked the film, but I wasn't – you know, it didn't hit me in quite that same way. But mm-hmm. I saw the trailer, which you excerpted here. The uh, You know, yeah. I saw it theatrically. I think I was – I think I probably saw it in front of American Beauty or something. Um, and uh, that, like, I was immediately, like, jolted into, like, I have to fucking see this fucking thing. Like, that's – you know that trailer sold me immediately, and even now I kind of watch that trailer and go, "That is a truly astounding." The trailer itself is an astounding piece of filmmaking. It really sells the movie mm-hmm. in its way, and so um, I was really pumped to see it. And like the day it showed up in my like multiplex outside the like you know the Walmart or whatever, I you know it played for I think it played for I think two weeks in my local market at that time, like starting about three weeks after it was after it even hit wide release, mm-hmm. and I saw it. Twice on consecutive weekends. Holy fuck! That's how much. I, oh that's fuck! How much. One of those times during an active tornado warning. 
So, Holy yeah. fuck! <laughs> yeah. You're bright. You're you're dedicated. Holy I shit! I was like, the one person in the theater to to see it. Like I went. You're like I'm dead. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. If you grew up in Alabama, tornado warnings are not like you know. It's uh, you know it's a thing. I think. Oh my god. Um, my dad. I can't remember which country it was, but my dad was touring. It was training in Europe, and he was somewhere. He went somewhere off, uh, like outside of Europe. I can't remember where exactly, but he went and watched. I can't remember what movie it was. Oh, uh, Silence of the Lambs when it okay. just came out, and the theater and the process was being bombed, and my dad was freaking out, and everyone else was really calm. And it turned out that my dad it found out that afterwards was like this was really common for them, and I think that's kind of the situation you were in. Like it's just cool whatever this is happening it happens all the time fuck it like if this is gonna happen it's gonna happen so so, so silence of the lambs when was that released 90 91 92 would that be uh would that be like uh yugoslavia Serbia, somewhere around then the i might not have been science of the lambs i might be wrong i think i just fucked it up because my dad i think my dad's a commercials for science of the lambs it was another movie and i can't remember what it was it was way back in the day Cannot remember, but anyway, either way, it doesn't matter. 1991. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, this Back in the, the ancient 70s. times, so long ago. <laughs> well, hold on a second. This was in the 70s. Oh, the, the 70s. 70s well, when it happened. Well, then it wouldn't be Silence of the Lambs. No, it wouldn't be. And no. I realized after I said it, I was like, hold on a second. Um, I cannot remember the date. I cannot remember what movie it was. Now I know Silence of the Lambs is because commercial breaks, that it ruined the whole theme for my dad. But uh, it was a movie. And whatever it was, what it was supposed to be, it's my dad said it was more terrifying because the bombs falling down, and my dad was not from that area, but everyone else was just acting casually, and that's kind of how I picture you—just you in the theater. There's the tornado warnings, everything happening, and there's like tons of fucking sirens going off, and you being it like, yeah, whatever. It wasn't that happens. dramatic. It was not. It happens dramatic. all the time. Yeah. I'm used to this, and that's this all I picture in my happens. head. This yeah, it's just something normal. Yeah. Because everybody else thought it was normal, so the, every, there wasn't amazing, crazy amount of people, but there was people in the theater being like, "Yeah, this happens," and well, in the same situation, it if happens. It, if it was bombs falling in the seventies, it probably probably still was like Serbia or someplace. And I'm guessing I can't, I can't, some, I have some, to ask my dad. Some Eastern Bloc country of some sort or something, you know? I don't know. I for homework, I will talk to my dad, ask him when, when it was, and I'll give you the movie, so yeah, we have a more accurate date. But don't leave this hanging. Yeah, my yeah. dad. My dad traveled a lot in the seventies, like a lot during the seventies. So, mm, like he lived in England and he traveled with the uh, with Screaming Lord Such, which mm-hmm. I know a quarter of the people know where that is, but it was a European band and he traveled everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, anything else, Daniel, or do, do you want us to move on to? Uh... I think. I think. I mean, you know, I. I ha- again, I have lots of thoughts here about you know mm-hmm. how this film struck me then. And how it has kind of aged um, for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm gonna probably agree with a lot of the criticisms uh, that you guys <laughs> might bring. Um, but I'd like to I'd like to actually to kind of like let you guys kind of like have like I'd like to I don't want to dominate this too much because I really could sit here and talk about this for two hours. So you know let's uh, let's move away from me and I will I will uh, kind of come in as as I need to. Okay, so uh, Lee, what what are your sort of initial sort of thoughts on this one? Okay, so after, it took me twice, two times to watch this film. I tried to watch it the one night, and I fell asleep four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a very long movie, and I was tired when I did watch it, so I do blame myself for that. Um, directing, acting, like, it was 
really good. Like the music they chose for scenes, the acting in certain scenes. Like I felt it. Like it felt good. But I think the big thing is like this is one of those like uh, top down, bottom up, like views kind of things. I'm very much like a top down person versus a bottom up. So you need to tell me what I need to look for. If I don't know what I'm looking for, I cannot find it. Like abstract ideas are totally like oblivious to me. Like you cannot, I, I don't see past what I'm told. And it's not, it's just there's so much in this movie and I have such a short attention span that it's so hard for me to like really connect a lot of the stories. And I won't take away from the fact that this movie is really well made because the acting, the feelings, everything, like every scenario that happened, I really got into it. I felt for the characters. The one kid, uh, uh, Stanley. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Like with his dad and everything. Like I was from a small town where people literally like, just, there was these really insanely talented kids who just got forgotten because their parents forgot about, like, didn't give a fuck about them. The school didn't give a fuck about them, but they were insanely talented in whatever area. They were super, ta- like, super intelligent, super artistic, super athletic. Didn't matter. They would get nowhere because no one cared about them and they'd just be left in the dust. And I saw this genius kid who the dad was trying to take advantage of and it broke my heart. I just saw that where it was like, oh, there's dollar bills. Oh, you can't make those dollar bills. I'm just going to abandon you. Same with the whiz kid. Mm-hmm. Like his storyline was just, oh, I had such a pity for him because I was like, that's my hometown. That's literally my hometown. Like they give up on anybody. Like, okay, cool. We're going to take whatever we can can from you. Once you're done, we're going to drop you. Like who gives a fuck about you? Um, this is like LA. This is an incredibly common kind of story you hear about like child actors who, you know, like parents yeah. take their money or, you know, and they spend everything and then, you know, they kind of grow up and then they're like, well, I guess I'm fucked. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like. Yeah. The whiz kid, the whiz kid I had the biggest heartbreak for because um, he at least got to make it out and kind of make it as an adult life. But in my case, in my small town, like the parents would take advantage as far as they could take advantage of them. So either they were super athlete, super intelligent, super fucking artistic, whatever. And then once they were done, they're like, okay, cool. You're done. Like be on your own. We don't care about you. And that's, that's the truth. That's the fucking truth. And Oh God, I could say so much about that. Like that, that final, like that scene where he's doing the whole quiz and he doesn't want to answer the questions anymore because of like his incident. I'm like, Oh my God, I respect you so much. And I, 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 completely honor the fact that you were just like i'm gonna call all of you out like i love that i absolutely love that well it's not just his father the whole system like the the whole whole system the kids that who were supposed to be in his team the fucking announcer the girl who was supposed to take care of him oh yeah it was an insanely powerful statement and that's why i like this movie because there were so many very powerful moments like the end when the wife finds out the husband did some terrible things and she leaves him like she finds out some shitty things about their marriage whatever cool that's just marriage and then she finds other shitty things out and she's like no i'm out i'm gone let's no fuck you and i had so much respect for that and the same with like the cop and the relationship with like the drug addict and i thought that was so beautiful because he's like yeah i'm fucked up too like we're both fucked up we're both weirdos we're both fucked up like let's just be fucked up together and that was so beautiful and i loved it so much like that's why i'm saying like this movie was so well directed there's so many good parts of it it's just so abstract for me that my brain can't handle abstract i couldn't appreciate it as much as i should have and i know you were talking about it about like reading the book and understanding more and i think i would have appreciated more if i did read the book because god damn it was so 
the script sorry the script yeah just because it was so well directed it was so well directed like the acting like i felt every character like the i could say so much about this like there were so many things i loved 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 about it the intro when the daughter and the father had their interaction at first i was like looking at it i'm like this is weird acting i don't like it like i i'm gonna criticize it and then at the end when i found out the whole history i was like no i get it now i get it like this is she was told this is what happened to her holy fuck do i feel it and i'm gonna say i hate tom cruise i hate him as a human i hate him everything i hate everything fiber of my being but holy fuck was he ever so good in this movie he was so good he played such a good asshole like he played the best fucking douchebag out there he played the person you want to hate the person you want to make like every like every fiber of your being and the fact that he got owned um by guinevere and you're just like yes yes i love this (laughs) and at the end you have pity for him like this is this is acting this is Goddamn acting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that this movie um it kind of utilizes like what everybody kind of secretly thinks about Tom Cruise to like really well. Like, you know, he's got this persona and stuff and, and he's got all this weird Scientology bullshit and all that and and he's you know, he's the big movie star who doesn't really do the meaty roles or whatever. So then he comes on and he does like a meaty role. And he's so I, I'm, good. and he's really good in this. I, I don't think he deserves the Oscar for it or whatever. He, he like he won an Oscar for this, right? He didn't win the Oscar. He was nope. nominated. He oh, he's nominated. Yeah, he, he deserves to be nominated. He deserves to be nominated. Does not deserve to win, as far as I'm concerned. Like there's there's plenty of people in this movie who are way better than he is. In this. <laughs> right. Yes. But I do love that this movie like really utilized like his image and everything and put it into this character and like kind of just manipulates the audience into going like yeah that is tom cruise that fucker and that's like, exactly I, how i felt and i really <laughs> and i really buy it like you know it, it, it really works it's a really good uh, cohesive little thing uh, Cruz was Cruz was coming off of uh, Eyes Wide Shut at this point. Yeah, like, yeah. he had really just finished he had just finished filming Eyes Wide Shut, and in I fact, like Paul Thomas Anderson met him on the set of Eyes Wide Shut to discuss coming out and doing this movie. Like that, mm-hmm. if that puts you in the right head frame for you know the era of Tom Cruise's career, right? You know, I yeah, like yeah. when he does the, he. What he does, he good. He does really good, and I do like Tom Cruise as an actor in certain plays. But honestly, like if he just dropped off the world, like the universe, I would not give a fuck. I understand that some good <laughs> things would future, be future future movie god segment. I suppose. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, considering the stunts he does, he might drop off the world at some point just because he's. But if you told me, like, if we did that, the whole the whole god thing, I would take him away because he brings so much negativity because unfortunately Scientology is so terrible to women, so terrible to homosexuality and those are two things that you already know that I'm so passionate about so I'd just rather not I would care less that he did an amazing movie and be gone than him just not promoting so much negativity towards certain aspects of my life that are so important mm-hmm. but besides that Back to the movie. Back to the movie. Mm-hmm. I have a couple more points, and then I'm going to move on. Sorry, I'm, I have a lot of points. I really, really enjoyed how Cynthia was brought up to be this really caring, warm person. Like, you saw her as this, like, I love these kids. I take care of these kids. These kids are everything about me. I'm going to make them feel super comfortable. Because, like, when she was bringing up the dad, 
who was a super asshole and she knew the ad I was an asshole and she's like I'm gonna make this kid feel good I'm gonna make him feel ham- happy I'm gonna talk about what he wants to talk about I'm gonna be like water's wet like that kind of joke that she made but she's making it as like I support what you do and then when the kid said I have to pee and she's like you have to be on in a minute I don't care and I loved how they did that because it showed how she was there just to be a part of the channel to be a part of the show like it really showed her carelessness for the children essentially she didn't give a fuck about the kids she just cared Mm -hmm. about making sure she put this persona on to say I need this kid to be there because I know this is a star child and then the whole bullying about the kid and how they were supposed to put it all against and everyone was really mad at him. I was totally supporting the kid because I was like, no, like as a child, oh, fuck, as a child has been in that situation where you're like, I have to pee. And they're like, you can hold it. You know, you don't know how long I've held it for until I've actually gained the courage to say I've had to pee. And I remember just, I felt so bad for the kid. I knew it was worse for him because he was alive. <coughs> when, when, when you watch how that show plays out too, like you know the the time they take for uh for uh Jim Gator to you know after his after his little spell there and he falls mm-hmm. and shit and all that stuff so was like they could have given the kid a time for a pee break like they really could have they could have literally went to the kids and been like hey guys are you okay because he mentioned before he went on set before it went live before the show even started i have to pee and she's like okay well it's too late now so they, they went from the the the, the break and she should have easily and when she heard about it known this kid has to pee and it wasn't it wasn't too late too because it's like they did the whole startup of the show and there was like plenty of time there it's like he could have run off for like 30 seconds to the bathroom took a piss yeah. come back in good for the show they didn't give the a fuck show. about the kids they gave a fuck about the ratings but at the same time if he didn't have to pee and he didn't piss himself and then all that shit didn't happen he might never have spoken up about they, how, yeah. how much he's being abused by that was the fucking show too so, and by know. his dad mm-hmm and the whole ending with his dad too um i don't know if anyone noticed either uh john c Riley. this is like the first serious part i've seen him because newer stuff he's always comedic his what? has he done anything that was like serious dramatic before this daniel i can't no. remember he was in uh well he was in boogie nights and that's sort of that, a that's right, right yeah. role. he's also oh, in the yeah. casualties of war which was one that oh we, shit uh, he was in um sorry go on no, go ahead that was no, the one no, we no. did. That was the I Vietnam War the movie we didn't get to cover. That was right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't he the one no. with the, the the woman who adopts all the dogs? I cannot remember the movie. The it was supposed to be a comedy movie, and yes, she he was, and it, it was like a comedy. It was supposed to be comedy, but it was very serious. It was a woman who dealt with a lot of mental health problems, and I watched it, and I had a hard time watching it. And he was in it. I can't remember the name of the, year, the movie. He's really Anyways, good. He's in that. Like, very very he's good. good as a serious actor like i, yeah, I mean him. he was he was he was this kind of indie actor he did a lot of he, he kind of played a lot of like tough guys kind of like big heavies and, and kind of assholes for a while and so when he uh converts into being like you know uh <laughs> what's his name uh will ferrell's buddy mm-hmm. he kind of definitely throws whiplash into, into his career but i mean it was clearly lucrative for him you know uh but but i I knew him from this kind of stuff. Um, mm, but oh, he's, he's in uh, he's in Gangs of New York. He's got oh he's, yeah that that's that's fucking this, yeah so, that's yeah, fucking right like, yeah. yeah. But I mean he he does have like that comedic timing where it works well as a dramatic actor because mm-hmm. he can he can play awkward he can play outsider weirdo and the comedy sort of informs that and like and you notice this this character like he feels like out of everybody in this almost. 
even more of an outsider than a lot of these people. Yep. Like, and I think the one scene that kind of like really uh, signifies it is where he's standing as a cop in the aftermath of the you know, you know he finds the body, and uh, so the, the homicide detectives are there and shit, and he's just the patrolman standing uh, out, outside of that, and he's trying to be part of it. You know, he's like he's he's nodding and like saying yeah, yeah, and then, and he's like and oh this lady was and the detective cuts him off basically says don't need that or whatever and then mm-hmm. he just shuts up or whatever and it's just a really good little character moment that works really well it is i yeah. i kind of i kind of have a laugh though um just on the fact that you see john c Riley back then and you see john c Riley now and you're like how much work did you have done because he like they saw angles and you're like those acne scars like, I would have never noticed them then, like, sorry, now, if I hadn't noticed how clear your skin is now. And <laughs> it was, it's just a small, it's a small thing. I don't think very many people will realize it. But for me personally, like, as soon as I saw it, I looked at him and I'm like, your skin looks way better now in 2020 than it did back in 1999. I bet it's just makeup. Like, I'm, I'm pre- Well, it's also just surgery. Like, it's Botox and shit because that's all the stuff that gets I, rid I, of that shit. I don't know if he, I don't know if he's had that, though. I, I, I think I, Botox is common. Botox is very common. All it does is just take away, like, wrinkles and acne scars. It's just a quick, cheap, considering their salary procedure, that just gets rid of all that stuff. I mean, he might have, but uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think the only last point, I know I've been kind of going on, because it, it's, oh, first of all, it's like a really long movie. But uh, the only last part I want to bring is um, uh, Linda, her relationship. I, I, I just got onto the roller coaster with her relationship because at first I thought she was trying to get drugs to kill her husband and I thought she was get drugs to like sell them or do something and that to get drugs and then you realize like I fucked up like I'm mm-hmm. a shitty human being like I hated my husband but now I love him and he's an amazing person and it's and then you find out the husband was a horrible husband beforehand and he did the same thing as her his wife his current wife and it's that relationship was such a roller coaster like I remember I just oh it's just yeah, it brought me through all all the feelings. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to that performance. I'll bring that up later. But um, j- just for me, uh, so this is the second time I've watched this. Um, first, I, I first watched it in two thousand. I rented it. I can still remember. I bought uh, or I rented the VHS, two VHS tapes. Yep. Because uh, yeah, um, the DVD wasn't released until later. Yeah, <laughs> it was released on VHS first. Mm-hmm. One of those like that that weird era when they did the that storm, mm-hmm. Titanic. <laughs> and I can remember I watched most of it, and I fell asleep halfway through. I I think I watched it in the summertime. It was like a really hot summer's day, and I was laying in my bed, kind of watching it, and it was too hot, and I kind of fell asleep. And I woke up like near the end, and I kind of like just didn't bother to rewind it and see what happened and shit and I was like okay whatever and then I took it back um, watching this time I really enjoyed it um, it is I, I'd still say it's way too long I mean I could I you could literally cut an hour and a half out of this and it would be a perfectly great movie I think I mean today this would be 
a mini series on like Netflix or something like that, right? Like, I mean, it that, would be that's, easy to imagine. This is like an eight-hour mini series. Exactly. Know. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's filled with fine storytelling. Uh, the performances, as we've already talked about, fucking brilliant, and I'm sure we'll probably maybe get into some details about some of the specific ones as we go along here. But and I can understand why Paul Thomas Anderson did this because you know it's like he got, you know, after Boogie Nights and stuff, it's like he's got the, he, you know, he wrote his own ticket. It's like you know, okay, it's it's one of those things where you know, great director does a great film, and then it's like, okay, we're gonna give you we're gonna give you a bunch of money, do whatever you want because you're, you're a hit maker, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, well, I'm going to put all the shit that I want to put in this movie because I might never get the chance to do it again. So, so he puts it in this. So I'm not, you know, I have no complaints about how it actually ended up or whatever, but I do feel like this is a bit too precious at times. Like I, I think, I think sometimes it gets a little too in love with like how clever it is. Yes, everything connects, and you got magnolias all over the fucking place, and a lot of that stuff's good, but at the same time, a lot of it's kind of a little, little too precious, a little too, like, I wrote a story, and, I, and I'm and i really clever at it, and, and I wrote a lot of really clever story things. and It's, it's the kind of thing that, like, he was 29 years old. Exactly. Know? Like, yeah, exactly. Very, you know. It, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I, I, feel, I feel bad about criticizing it, because it's like, he, he, just, he, he literally just made a better movie than i would i would ever make so it's like i'm i'm not yeah i'm so i'm not you know i'm I'm not shitting on it but it is he comes off of this and goes to goes on to make punch truck love like he Mm -hmm. kind of like he he makes sort of like the big giant everything in kitchen sink version of a movie and then just kind of radically changes the way he makes movies after this like this he sort of did everything that you could do with this kind of idea and then strips everything back down and makes like the 90 minute punch drunk love and then the next one is like there will be blood you know? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i mean i mean there's there's a lot in this that kind of informs punk punch drunk love right like yeah. it mm-hmm. there, because there is there is sort of funny whimsical almost like uh fantasy parts to this that are very just interesting and weird i feel like when i got about close to the two hour mark (laughs) i felt like it's all done right like because when you get around that point everything is ramped up like this is where that's that's around the musical sequence like that yeah you know they do the uh, wise up musical sequence and i feel and and i feel like okay this is gonna be over in 15 minutes like realistically they're gonna wrap everything up in 15 minutes it's like no we got another hour bitches (laughs) i gotta gotta keep you going and so like (laughs) i'm i mean i i'm sure this is probably everybody's pretty much criticism with this who are who's like critical of the film is it's too long and it is too long i think there's so many really great stories in this that all deserve a feature-length film that are truncated by the fact that they're part of this ensemble thing that's Mm -hmm. three hours long and a lot of them don't get time to breathe so the pacing of them is not necessarily always great. You look at Julianne Moore's stuff, which is fucking brilliant. Like, I mm-hmm. I think her performance, like, just playing this character who is racked with guilt over the shitty things she's done in life, it is... Like it, it had me, it had me just, like, glued to the fucking screen watching it, and I was just so into it. And then it goes on, and she does it again, and it's like... Okay, the pacing of this is really weird. It's really off. 
and and I feel like the the John C. Riley stuff uh, with uh, what's what's her name, uh, Melora Walters. Melora Walters, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of that's really good, and then it gets really super hyper again and weird, and I feel like if this was paced out in like a separate movie, it'd be way better. And and then I'm not shitting. Well, it's not hard to imagine like a punch drunk love, but like it's Jim Curry and you know Claudia Wilson yeah. Gator. It's not hard to imagine like oh that love story just being its own thing. Well, that that's know? that's that's kind of the one that I thought was really most cute, most yeah. in most informed punch drunk love. Like that's kind of the that's the comedic romantic story with some serious tones that really is kind of the same thing in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I I just I kind of really want my separate movies like i i, I kind of really want like the julianne moore you know struggling with her dying husband and all that like i think that is a really interesting movie philip seymour hoffman i just my watching, face he makes <laughs> god damn watching watching this fucking performance and it made me sad it made me so fucking sad like just to know he's dead like i'm do listening. you know he was 46 when he died yeah, oh, I do. Uh, I mean, does just, that make you feel fucking old or what? <laughs> like, Jesus it, 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 it makes me feel old and it just makes me feel sad that we're not getting more performances from him because he's oh, yeah. so fucking brilliant in this. And like, he this was is only like, 32. He was mm-hmm. only 32 when he made this yeah. movie. You know, like, and I'm just like, God damn it. It's like, it, it just it just sucks to see that shit. And, but it's so, yeah, I'm, I'm like really conflicted with this one. Like, I like it a lot, but at the same time, you know, I'm sort of giving my initial thoughts here, but I, I guess I'll just bleed it into somewhat my final thoughts. Um, I went on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a bare recommendation in a way, because it's like, you got to know what you're getting into. And like, there's so much good stuff that could be done better, I think, in, in a different format. And there's a little too much in this film, I think, at, at times. So yeah. it's kind of, kind, of what, kind of where I sit on it. I think there's a, uh, I mean, I think the thing that drew me to the film, you know, certainly when I saw the trailer originally and then kept me coming back to the film over and over again was that sense of overstuffedness. Like, we're talking about the kind of individual storylines, but the storylines don't just inform each other, don't don't just inform the others on, you know, sort of like, oh, and this character ends up being connected to that character, but like, there are themes at play here of, you know, fathers and sons and children and abuse and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the role of coincidence and the role of damage down the generations. Like, this is the thing that, you know, and if we did just have, like, the various storylines kind of disconnected, you don't get that sense of kind of rising momentum it's from it. So it's true. And I think that, I mean, I can, I definitely see kind of where you're coming from here. I mean, this is a movie that, is very much of that moment in 1999. It was very much of that era of filmmaking in which, you know, we don't see this kind of like everything but the kitchen sink and then also the kitchen sink and then also the cuisine <laughs> and also the bathroom sink and everything. Like, it's, <laughs> we don't see that anymore. Um, you know, this is only a few years. I mean, um, Shortcuts was 93. The Player was 92. Um, some of the people, I believe the editor of this actually worked as an assistant editor on both Shortcuts and uh, The Player uh, for, mm-hmm. for Robert Altman. And it was on the strength of this film that, uh, you know, Anderson kind of ends up being like uh, um, Robert Altman's last movie was uh, The Prairie Home Companion. And uh, he only got that made because they agreed to have like a second director kind of there to to come in if Altman died during the production. And yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson was the person 
who was trusted to do that, you know. Um, I think regarding sort of the making of it, I mean, this is, um, you know, New Line was trying to compete with Miramax for, you know, kind of that top talent that really like making these kind of like weird indie, you know, prestige films. And they were trying to kind of, and they gave, I mean, literally they gave him, they gave Anderson like final cut without even seeing a script, which never, mm-hmm. ever, ever happens. I mean, that's yeah. just, it does not happen. Um, I mean, you really get the final cut, but I mean, you know, they, they, they threw, I think this was like a $37 million movie or something like that, which, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a movie like this is, is a fairly, it was a fairly large budget at the time. Um, I mean, it shows yeah, on screen, like, every like every dime of that is on the fucking screen you know yeah um, i really like the soundtrack too like they put the set oh, like, no, a no, lot no, of no. the songs that they put were just well, I mean, so involved was, in the, the scene it was written around the amy mann songs yeah the amy, like the, the amy so mann songs With- were actually like he met amy mann because he had directed some music videos for her husband at the time john bryan who ends up writing the score all the all the score pieces for this were written by John Bryan, and I think I, I mean people love the soundtrack, love the love the Amy Mann stuff, and I do too. I mm-hmm. you know I fell in love with Amy Mann, <laughs> you know I still love Amy Mann, um, but uh, the John Bryan score I think is if anything even even better. I mean you know that that kind of big orchestral piece, uh, you know. They do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it, it's just kind of everybody working at the top of their game. Um, I'll go into my uh, criticisms um, because you know I think I think I've you know I I have a much deeper relationship with this film and I'm I'm glad that, I'm glad that you 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 both get at least something out of out of the viewing of it um, you know um, <laughs> I think the uh, the John C Riley sequences uh, just basically don't work at all in the in the in, in this film um, I think particularly in 2021 it's a lot easier to kind of see man, you're a cop who's hitting on a drug addict mm-hmm. on the job. <laughs> and then you're like dating her afterwards. Like, yeah, this is an abuse of power situation. Like this is not, this is not good. Um, even aside from that, uh, Anderson is clearly in love with actors. Like people talk about Anderson and his like facility with the camera and like the, 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 the all of the just amazing things he's able to do cinematically. But like, he says like his, his favorite thing is just to watch actors act. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, they do a lot um, in, in Boogie Nights. And then here as well, they developed a, a special camera rig so that they could film longer takes. They could just film extended. So the typically a test time, this is pre digital. So they were doing um, it's all shot on film and they could shoot uh, 10 minutes in a single like magazine and a single film magazine was like <clears throat> the longest thing you could do. And if you wanted to go any longer than that, like if you wanted to just kind of get several takes in a row, you had to like change mags and you had all this kind of technical stuff and it gets the actors off their game. And so they actually developed this like way of doing like 20 minute magazines, 20 minute film magazines that you could, so that they could then do like the long Jason Robards, you know, monologue and yeah. you could film that all when not have to keep changing the the film all the time um and uh so so there is this kind of in the john c riley sequences you see him basically just putting the camera down and watching these two let's what we would now call kind of a cringe comedy kind of element to it they're really riffing right um there's a there's a big riff kind of going on and a lot of that was uh john c riley had uh, it wasn't it wasn't ad libbed on the day, but like he like uh, Riley had had kind of like done some 
they did some like cops parody stuff. Like Anderson just went around with a camera, like while they were filming Boogie Nights or maybe in post production for Boogie Nights, mm-hmm. and they would just he would just put on like a, a cop uniform and they would film like cops parodies. And this was yeah. he apparently took a bunch of that like dialogue that John C. Riley ad libbed and turned it into this movie. But like, why are we sitting and watching you know like thirty minutes of this like? in her apartment kind of sitting and like chatting her up like there's not like just it's way too much material for it it does not move things forward in the way that the rest of the movie does that's 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 the thing like i feel like it's better served in an actual movie like a separate movie right like yeah like its own story like that and and you're right like this whole the way that that segment is structured, especially um, as much as I like the actors in it, that's what I'm talking about. Where it's way too rushed. Like, there, you, 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 it's very hard to buy that. All this, like, it's it's almost like so comedical. It's like an '80s comedy or something like that. Where, oh yeah, the the crazy drug addict and the, and the straight laced cop they fall in love or whatever, and it's so. It's so rushed. It's like if if you could stretch that out in an hour and a half movie and get into the real, you know, the deep dive of the serious stuff, then maybe you could make it work. But as it's presented, it's just like, what? Because he like uh, John C. Riley's character even flippantly like says, I know this is abuse of power thing or whatever, but I'd really like to ask you on a date or like, come on, dude. Like, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I did enjoy the the relationship. Like I did enjoy the the scenes between them because I thought it was like two weirdos kind of finding each other in the weirdest circumstances. Because um, he made it very clear that he was like a shitty cop because he had lost his gut and he's like, "I'm not mm-hmm. that great. I'm not that good." And he, at the end, he was talking about how he gets chances in certain situations because a guy. Um, the whiz kid who got caught in his shittiness got out of a shittiness because the cop was, or John C. Riley was saying, I'm giving him a chance. And I think that's where I kind of got it. Whereas like this girl that he thought was like this had heart to her. And when you realize like everything that happened to her, you're like, okay, I now understand why you're doing a lot of stuff that you're doing. And this one person was like, okay, fuck it. Like, I don't care what's wrong with you. Like, I just think you're awesome. And you realize he's kind of a piece of shit as well as a cop because he doesn't really do good at his job. And I thought it was just this kind of uh, this beautiful romance between two weirdos who just kind of found each other. Like, they're both fucked up beyond belief. Like, he talks to himself in the car about, like, what he does as a cop. <laughs> and she's just she's just fucked up in general because everything that's happened to her. So I actually, I did enjoy the interaction between him and the girl that he was into. I thought he was just this weirdo side thing, and I kind of enjoyed the weirdo side thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, I uh, agree. It's just, like, because we spend so much time on the bad cup of coffee, you know, we spend... <laughs> several minutes on that bad cup of coffee sequence right because we spend so much time there we're not spending time exploring the background of like you know rose gator i do agree with that her relationship with uh jimmy gator and like she just kind of gets a couple lines at the end like well you should know better and it's like how much did you know this whole time like Mm -hmm. this is like there's there's a lot that's left unsaid here right you know I found this weirdness between the fact that the cop was named Jim and the guy was named Jimmy. 
I don't yeah. know if anybody else caught that, but I was like, really? Really? Is there a reason why there was a name Jim and Jimmy? There there are a lot of parallelisms here. And, but that, and was, that was a very big for me. I mean, that was me he's, he's, who has a hard time recognizing that stuff, and I recognize that. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> coming in as sort of a, a alternate father figure, and when you learn like what her father figure is, like, oh, yeah, there's a... Yeah, no, there's there's some stuff there that we should And it's, it's weird, like, and at the end there, the very last sequence where she's in bed, and I don't know if, if and he's to... standing in the exact spot where Jimmy Gator was standing at the very beginning of the film. And he's oh, yes, that. and he, and he's laying down, he's laying down a little bit, of, a little bit of edicts like, listen, I'm not going to give up on you. I, I I don't like you talking about your piece of shit. Like I'm I'm not going to accept that. And <laughs> this, this is this is this is a Reddit thread in the form of a person. Right? It's actually. You could actually read it as really sinister, like he's like mm-hmm. taking control of her life, you know, kind of yeah, thing. But does he even know what's going on with her life, though? Because she doesn't say it. And I think, okay, I think the relationship, the fact that the father and daughter was broken and the mother who came at the end. By the way, the frog scene was puke. It was disgusting. I had a hard time watching it. Like, I literally covered my eyes watching it because I could not handle it. But, Did you know about um, the frogs before you sat down and watched the movie? No. Oh. <laughs> it was awful. I had such a hard time, and I had a hard. Uh, nope, nope. I don't even want to talk about it right now because I'm going to say my imagine point. Ha- before, then ma- you can talk about it later. Imagine but, if uh, no, Lee, stop. Imagine if you were if you were working in LA and you were a frog cleaner. You had to like sweep them off the ground and stuff. Why? Why? <laughs> why? Anyways, I'm going to go on to what I was going to say before I forget it. Um. I, I thought it was truly beautiful at the end when she reconnected with her mother. When she the yep. mother was banging on the door and there was a whole relationship being thought was so destroyed and you realize it was the father who destroyed it and the mother reconnected <laughs> and they reconnected. I thought it was so beautiful. I oh, like it was so heartwarming because like the father like admitted that he cheated and the mother was like, Okay, whatever, like I'll accept that and then the father admitted like the molestation and the daughter or the mother was like fuck you i'm out well he doesn't even doesn't even really admit to it yeah he doesn't but she doesn't care he goes oh i don't know i just don't know what happened i can't i just how but she knows how can i possibly know the fact that there is a yeah the fact that it is it and the realization that she knows that he probably denied it because he his brain probably just fucking forgot it but he knows most no, he's like, lying. He's, he's most like, That's what I'm saying. Most likely it did happen. Let's just give him a benefit of the doubt that his brain did forget. But the reason his brain forgot was because he did something so traumatic. She's not dumb to the fact that he did something so traumatic that his brain tried to forget it. This is literally giving him the benefit of a doubt. And it's still saying she did the right decision. I massively accept everything that she did. I, I, I was like, okay, I understand you've forgiven for the cheating. But as soon as he mentioned, I may have, or she may say, and automatically mm. took the daughter's side, I was like, I love you. I respect you. I think you're the most admirable woman. And this is like, I did not know you the whole movie, but now I want to just be, like, I want you to be my mom because I just, I think you're fucking brilliant. It, it, makes, me, it makes me kind of think, like, you should have shown more of her during the movie. Kind yes. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that end sequence, because they didn't show much, in the end sequence, when they show them reuniting, you barely hear anything, and that's the only thing you hear of, and the, the daughter just is like, yes, come to me, and I love you, and I respect you, and I want to be with you, and I want to rebuild the relationship, and it's like just saying, 
I barely know anything about the mother. We barely know anything about the mother. And the daughter is saying, please come into my life. Versus the father, she's like, get the fuck out and never see me again. And I thought this was this beautiful moment. I thought it was so nice. I Like, the, the whole chaotic scene and the whole, like, it, it was so anxiety-ridden, too. Like, and well, that's, the, that's the like the way, that's, that's literally while frogs are falling from the fucking sky. That's why yeah. I loved it. Yeah. That's why I loved it. No, no, I mean, and, and the, and the frogs thing is, I know you don't want to talk, we don't have to talk about the details on that if you're grossed out by it, but I mean, the whole like, point is, and then sometimes like weird chaos things happen in your life that really like reframe the entire perspective on everything. And I think that like having gone through a year of COVID lockdowns, yeah. I think we all kind of understand that like mm. sometimes things uh things change your priorities when they you know yeah. events, you know. And yeah. I loved I love that they rebuilt the relationship. I loved it. I think I think there are some very real questions about like <laughs> the mother's complicity there, but we can we can leave that aside for now, I think. The, just 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 alone. Just alone. That she took she had to choose between the husband and the daughter, and she chose the daughter. That shows a crazy amount of everything. Mm, like, she does. Just, she does. She does. Live. Leave Jim Gator to like try to shoot himself, and it's like uh, fate's like, no, you don't get off that easy. The frogs yeah. are gonna brat bash through your fucking house, and then you're gonna burn to death in, in the fucking fire. So she does not give a fuck about his outcome. She doesn't give a fuck about what happens to him. She's like, I care about my daughter. I can give a fuck about you, and that's that's. What got I, me at that? I, I barely knew her, and I was on her side. I was on the mom's side, being I, like, "You made the right decision." I do like. I do like. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm usually a, li- a little against, like, oh, you know, universal karma or whatever in a movie necessarily, but I do like that. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's like, no, we're going to punish the shitty people in this film. We're going to really punish yeah. them bad, and and he does. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like ten, except, ten, for, except for the whiz kid, I know he did something shitty. But the whiz kid was literally abused by his parents. By yeah, taking, he's he's, like, a, he's a victim, and and he has a he and, and he and he and has then, a tur- but he's also forgiven at the end. Yeah, he has a turnaround, right? Like he, yeah, he, he does because he he doesn't actually mean any harm. He's just he like the the thing he's about slightly punished. Well, the, the the thing about is him him is he actually never grow grew up. Like he he is a victim of being a child star mm-hmm. who was abused by his parents, and then he's left in the adult world to try to adapt to that, and he can never do it. And I mean, and and he has this, you know, hopeless love affair of this hunky bartender, like he, he's so attracted to him and stuff. And like to the point where he wants to get braces on his already perfect fucking teeth. Mm, right. Just just so he can find some sort of connection with this guy that hopefully might in some weird way make him love him. And it's very sad and very just like y- y- you can really sympathize with him. And I mean, oh, they've had the casual blood homosexuality too. It was never oh, a big thing. It was just well, very casual. There's something big about it. I thought it was really funny that 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 he's in the bar, and then and then you, <laughs> and then you got uh, uh, what's his name. Uh, uh, Henry Gibson, Henry Gibson, in there as well. Who's also obviously the older gay man who just gets off on like you know throwing money at this hunky bartender and seeing him turn around to make a drink for him, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you go, you go, Henry Gibson. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. I just and, like, I just like that it was so casual. Mm-hmm. I like there was no like second anything about oh he's a homosexual. Oh he's homosexual. They never brought it up. Like it never was a, a big issue. 
I love that it was brought up so naturally. I knew it was 1999. I know in the 90s were very pushing forward towards LGBT. Or just gay. I should just say gay. But anyways, um, and I really yeah, enjoyed I mean, that they did that. Just take the T out, I think. You know, LGB, LGBT. LGBT, yeah. The trans yeah, were not so really, much. They were there. Really about trans issues. And yeah, smart, but, you know. it was there, but not nearly. But it was still pushing very much forward comparatively to like the early 2000s. Because the 90s was more pushing gay rights versus the 2000s because I felt like there was a downfall. Yeah, the, the George W. Bush there. era was the George W. Bush era was uh, it was it was a time. It was a yeah, time. It, was a, it was a time. Oh, but one of the greatest presidents, right, Daniel? In retrospect, yeah, no. Oh yeah, well, yeah, we, yeah, no. yeah. We don't have to go there. It's fine. Yeah, this <laughs> is not a political show. Hey, don't think no, 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 no. That was that was, that was a joke, um, which I respect. <laughs> but but yeah, no. I, I just like that, like Henry Gibson and and uh, and fucking um, Whiskin. Yeah, and with and with kid William H Macy, they're like William H Macy targets fucking Henry Gibson's like, and he just starts like you know chatting at him and like, oh, you think you're gonna get him? I'm gonna get him, you know, and 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 I I love him more than you do, and all this shit, and that like there's several segments in this that feel like a stage play more than anything else. Oh yeah, and yeah. that that's the most mm-hmm. stage play of the segments in this film. I feel like like I I could I I'd really be interested in like seeing actually a stage play that just does this bar segment because I think it's oh, really yeah, well yeah. done, you know, or, you know, kind of extended version. Of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. one of the things that he said in the writing of it was that like, he was trying to take sort of like, like he, he described like the process of like, like if somebody in your life dies and mm-hmm. you're like, it's this huge traumatic thing. Like somebody that you care about a lot dies, but then like on your way to the, you know, on your way to the funeral, you like, I can't find my car keys and I have to find parking and I have to, and like, and so, so the tone of the film, like the goal was to sort of like capture that, that dynamic of like these huge, like stories that we've seen kind of over and over again. Like there's not, mm-hmm. there's not like a lot of new psychological nuance here, but the idea was to sort of contrast these kind of like big emotional moments with the sort of like the weird, just kind of the weird mundanity of, you know, kind of life at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think the, uh, the bar scene, you know, Brad, like he's got, Brad's got braces. And so William H. Macy wants to get braces because he thinks it'll make Brad like him. So he's spending thousands of dollars on braces. He doesn't need mm-hmm. just to have like a, a line. Who never felt loved. So, so no, no, somebody who, who, who has love to give. He just doesn't know where to put it. Like that. But the mm-hmm. thing, like he never felt love with his parents because his parents just literally used him for the money that he won. So he just yeah. wanted to feel love, and he's like, "I have so much love to give, and you can get." He never felt love. He like his parents never gave him the love he wanted. This is and me, he, my perspective, by the way. And, but, and, and and he gets a lesson at the end. Was like, well, now you do need uh, dental work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely gonna need but some, he's given like need some dental work. Push yeah. forgiveness again. It's that weirdo finding another weirdo, and I just uh, I love the weirdos. Like that love relationship between the weirdos just got me as much as I know you said that it was a waste of time, but for me, it made it worthwhile. It's not it's not a waste waste of time. time, It's a waste of it's not a waste. It's good material. Like it 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 works for what it is. I like it. It doesn't it doesn't like it has to fit within the exist it has to fit within the film it has to do something like you know like a hammer doesn't have to look uh, you know a nail doesn't have to look like a house but a nail has to mm-hmm. be a part of a house right and so like the scenes they have to build to something and in the context of the rest of the film you're sitting and you're watching this kind of the, these kind of weirdos sit in 
banter at each other in this like stilted cringe comedy way and it doesn't fit into the kind of the flow of the rest of the movie in a way mm-hmm. like the themes are there it could just be like, cut back or rewritten or and and this is this is you know anderson wrote it in like a few months uh, actually i think it was like two weeks is mm-hmm. like the actual like scripting stage and then like stuff got kind of cut and expanded in 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 shooting but like this was this was very much a sort of like off the kind of cuff movie and Let's let's move on from the uh, from uh, from the from the kind of broader conversation about about uh, Jim Jim Curring there and um, move into just a, a little bit of the the backstory here, which is probably not oh, something that you two are aware of. But um, during the post production process on Boogie Nights, which was the film that Anderson made before this, uh, both his father. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's father and a close family friend, Robert Downey Sr., who's Robert Downey Jr.'s father mm-hmm. and who appeared in uh, Boogie Nights. Yeah. Um, both of those men died during the post-production process on Boogie Nights. And I don't think that you can understand. I, I think that there's no way to encapsulate the uh, the amount of illness and the amount of, you know, kind of fathers and sons and this kind of like larger kind of like traumatic experience of you know, this kid who's mm-hmm. a, uh, who grows up in Hollywood, who grows up in kind of the, the outskirts of showbiz who, you know, PTA's father was a, uh, was a Goulardi. He was a, uh, he was a, he was a, a talk show host um, back in the day. Um, and I don't think that you can, uh, understand this film without kind of like realizing that that's 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 really something that's happening and so those sequences in which jason robarts is i mean robarts himself was dying of cancer at the time he shot this movie (laughs) in fact he almost didn't he almost wasn't able to do it they were they were going to give it to uh uh, william s scott um it was offered to him, but he didn't want to do it and then robarts kind of comes back at the end and this is his his final film performance Mm -hmm. so it's about it's Paul Thomas Anderson talking writing about his now dead father while Jason Robards is only dying like here on a bed making this movie with him. I mean, there's something there's something really. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's very hard on its sleeve in that moment, and I don't think there's like an implication of like emotional abuse from like Anderson's father to to Anderson or anything like that. But no. I think it's certainly like it, it informs kind of the way that some of this stuff is shot and some of the some of the sense of empathy. And I know um, Lady Lee, you were talking about sort of the the cancer sequences and I, I don't know if you had any uh kind of thoughts there. Um I I think they were just uh I think they're just really well the whole thing, the whole emotional aspect like with the cancer and everything, like how uh, the father feels regret and wants to say things. Both, both of them, both uh, Earl and Jimmy, have these like confessional moments. Um, I thought, like my dad uh, went through leukemia and he was told he had six months to live, and he just kind of had that moment of like, "What do I do before I die? Like, what do I do?" And <coughs> I, I really captured that moment. Like, for me, who had a firsthand experience of someone to say, "Hey, someone in your life is going to die." to hearing how they acted in a moment where people felt that they were about to die. And I really felt, I thought it was very real. I thought it was very truthful. Like the dad, um, Jimmy confessing like some deep, dark thoughts and even, uh, Jimmy like talking to his son and saying how he cheated on his wife and all that stuff. And it was just, 
I don't, it was, it was, uh, it was a beautiful tragedy. It was like this beautiful moment where they can confess everything they want to, but it was tragic because everything they confessed was awful. Like it was these awful things. Mm. There, there, a lot, a lot of times, you have characters in this basically confessing to the pain that they rot down on their own children. Yeah, know, like, and I, I, I felt, I felt it. Like I felt. I know we were talking about it earlier, and I felt it. Like I really, it, it was those moments that I had a hard time watching because I truly felt it. Robard's really, really good in this, and I mean, it, it, it helps that he was actually dying of lung cancer. So it's like, oh, play, play lung cancer patient. Okay, I'll do that. Sure. Um, I really connected to that performance, though, just because like the way Jason Robards looks in this movie looks a lot like my grandfather looked before he died. Yeah. Um, he didn't die of cancer. He just, you know, he, he had uh, dementia and breathing problems and stuff like that. But s- still, it was like... That coffee intro. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that coughing intro right away. Everything that, I was ever described, everything I ever saw, that coughing intro. Anybody who's... Like, before I even knew he had brain cancer and lung cancer, the first thing I said... Lung cancer. Yeah. Didn't even know when I knew it was lung cancer. That's how good they were at <coughs> depicting that. Yeah. So, like, that that stuff really connects with me. Um, and, I mean, my favorite performer in this is Julianne Moore, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And even though, like, I think, like, the second half of her performance so kind of kind of gets... Um, goes a little over the top just because again she's another character who doesn't have like a full movie to like you know space her it. her character is the least written character in the movie mm-hmm. that's 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 really the issue um, and, and uh you know, like in, you can even see in like the the behind the scenes footage like there's this mm-hmm. documentary it's called the moment if you if you go to youtube and search the moment magnolia you'll find it's like an hour and 20 minute documentary it's included on the dvd mm-hmm. Um, so if you do want to know, like a lot of the backstory, it's, it's all there. They, it was, it's like filmed in real time as they were making it. This is not like an electronic press kit kind of documentary. It's like a real documentary that was made about the making of of the film. Um, and, uh, it's absolutely, you know, if you're, if you're interested in the film at all, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, but you can very clearly see that, uh, Anderson doesn't know what really is motivating Linda. He has kind of written her. He has given Julianne more the character, and like she's asking, you know, at some points, like, you know, what what's my character supposed to be feeling here? And in interviews, he said, like, oh no, she was. You're just crazy. You're just crazy. That's all. That's all. That's and it's like, no, that's not. That's not actually no, no, like, no. reasonable motivation there, Paul. Because um, she because she runs with it. Because she's she's oh, playing yeah. she's playing a very stock Hollywood character of, you know, yep. like the, the mistress who are, or, you know, the young trophy wife who marries the rich guy, not out of love, but out of the need for financial stability or whatever. But here she actually is a character who has a turn, who has fallen in love with Jason Robard's character. And, you know, the, the irony is that she doesn't know what a, shitty guy he actually was in, in his life before they met. Um, but she was shitty too. Like but, exactly but, shitty but as she, she was. Yeah, but she, she has a turn, right? So she's she's like, she feels this she's so racked with guilt. Like her performance <clears throat> just 
you can see it, it you can like see she it. oh she, she like you're saying she didn't have a lot to work with she wasn't given a lot to work with she fucking knocks it out of the park because she yep. she overacts whatever material she was given um that scene at the drugstore where the where the pharmacists are suspicious of her because all those drugs she's buying and then when he comes in in that fucking pharmacist finally says like the <laughs> says the same thing a little too many times like oh a lot of drugs here lady. What are you doing with them? And then she finally just snaps. Like, who the fuck are you? You know, who who the fuck are you to talk to me like that with with that much fucking disrespect? And you you call me lady. You you yeah. call me lady. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was just like, this is so the, good. The, how much depression she felt too? Like how suicidal she felt? Yeah. Because like I was saying at first, I thought that she was taking advantage of the fact that he was had so many drugs and you could like sell them so i was thinking maybe she's like the young wife was like cool let's make some extra drugs being a drug dealer or maybe like okay cool let's take some extra drugs so i can take them because i like to get high like because you know the trophy wife like wants to get high off of stupid shit like the stereotypes not in general but then um that scene everything happened and you realize how fucking broken she actually was because as soon as she got to the lawyer's office and she just broke down mm-hmm. so bad like it just took that uh, like it just took that that moment of saying she's fucked she's, yeah, she's literally fucked especially like the especially the lawyer's office she's so broken that she can't even respond like a human being anymore like she just she's just telling the lawyer fuck you fuck you fuck you shut up don't talk to me kind of thing like she, she's so broken at that point that she she can't even function as, as she's a, like a job adult yeah it's you it's feel really it good. you feel her craziness you feel the fucking like it, it was how she doesn't now, have like 13 academy awards at this point is just kind of like weird the fact me. that you tell me that she had well maybe because she's female <laughs> yeah i guess um, yeah true but i mean it's just <laughs> like she's joke. such a good actress she's such a great actress it's so she good. is and i i i always, like i felt her the most like every scene she came up in i just it's just my heart just quenched up yeah. um <laughs> I, like I like I said, at first I thought she was trying to sell. I first I thought she was trying to be a drug addict, or second I thought she was trying to be a drug addict. She was just like take advantage of it. And then when like the scene where she tried to commit suicide and she was so casual, like I don't know. I just thought she made me feel. She made me feel what a person who tried to take advantage of someone and do stupid shit all of a sudden started feeling was like wow i'm piece of shit human what the fuck am i doing i hate myself yeah and when she tried to do everything like it hurts to watch it yeah i agree is there anything else we uh want to bring up or uh can we bring up marie's yeah marie's Marie's? yeah Mm -hmm. because he was an asshole he been masterful <laughs> to the kids, but he—you could tell uh, to Stanley—he was not an asshole. He knew something was going on. You could see he was like, "Hey, what's going on? What the fuck? Like, what? What's happening?" And then the, when the kids were picking on him, he was like being a real big asshole. He's being like, "What the fuck? No, I'm gonna do everything." But when Stanley was trying to go to the washroom, and they're like, "Hey, hey, hey!" and he, you could tell he had the sensitive side for Stanley. But hated everybody else. He's like, I don't give a fuck about everybody else. And yeah. I, I think that's one thing I wanted to bring up because he had such a small part, but it felt so insignificant because he was an asshole. Like you could even tell when he was talking about being like lactose and shit. 
But when it came to Stanley being discomforted, he was actually being nice. And then when it came to kids losing, he was like, in your face, in your face, you lost, in your face. I don't care if it was called and it wasn't a proper match, in your face. And it's because they bullied Stanley. I like it. Like when he's first introduced, he's like, you know, he's so like the the game show for people who ever watch this. Um, it sets up this panel of kids versus this panel of adults, and you know, the show's like, "What? What do kids know anyway?" Or whatever the fuck the show's called. And <laughs> what do kids know? W D K K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> Louis Guzman's character, um, he's introduced, uh, basically walking to the stage or whatever, and he runs into like a PA, and she's talking to him, and he's like, "Can you get me like a low fat milk?" With uh, with like two ice cubes, you know, like he's he's really showbizing her a little bit, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and and I just love that he's talking shit to the two asshole kids on the other panel. Like he's mm-hmm. just constantly talking shit to them. I, I was like, yeah, you go, you go, Louise. You, 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 <laughs> he was trying to be an asshole to the kids, mm-hmm. but he was being really nice to Stanley. And it was very discreet how he's being nice to them. But he was trying to be like, hold on a second, what the fuck? Like, what mm-hmm. are you doing to him? And um. Yeah, and I think you there was a massive a nod to abuse towards kids, uh, like the whole showbiz kids, because you saw with the whiz kid and has him telling how his parents just basically abused him for the money, and they showed the dad basically abusing him for the money, and the kid at the end being like, "You can't, you need to treat me better," and the dad was like, "Go to sleep," like completely ignored the kid's acknowledgement. Yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of these stories, like it it feels like they're le- left at like sort of ends like they're probably not going to end too well. Like you kind of feel like kind of feel like that kid's like his dad's his dad ain't going to get any better kind of thing. But the kid like, also realized that he was and he faced it. And a lot mm-hmm. of times like anytime a bully is faced with like the reality of the situation, they kind of clue in. So for me, I thought the opposite. I thought like this kid was like, no, 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 cool. And your child, but guess what? I'm the one who brings in the fucking money. You're going to start treating me with respect. It might, but it's just like, I, I kind of felt like, Maybe that's not going to happen, and maybe yeah. like we'll never like, know. Like like John, John <laughs> like the, the the cop and the drug addict story. It kind of feels like that ain't good. That's not going to end good. I don't think it's going to like she's like she's constantly throwing cocaine up her nose. I don't feel like she's going to clean up anytime soon. I don't know if that's going to. You work never know. Out. I mean, if you find out and you want to get better, you can get better. But what I like about the I do like about the film it doesn't give you that sort of like trite little conclusions that everybody's happy again. Like Tom, There's like no Tom. Solutions. No, like Tom Cruise goes to the uh, hospital to uh, check up on on the uh, widow of his, of his father. Linda, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, and there's no, there's no, there's no actual scene with them in the hospital room talking or anything like that. It's yeah, just like it's he's very, he's, um, he's just he's just going there. So it's like it leaves open all these questions of like these characters. Nothing's really tied up. The guy with his teeth, like he never talked about fixing his teeth. The whiz kid never <coughs> talked about fixing his teeth. Um, the the situation, even with the cop who let the guy go for trying to rob this one person, the the addict falling in love with the cop, and uh, Tom Cruise trying to rekindle his relationship with the mom, and the mom trying to rekindle, like, rekindle the relationship with the drug addict. Like, there were so many untied ends that were just left untied ends. Yeah. Like, there's no conclusion to any story. It was just saying, hey, let's bring you back to the intro of what we told you, and here's the ending. 
Yeah, it's just like a lot of weird shit happened, and these characters are changed a little bit, and that's about it. Like, there's no real end to their story, except for the dead people. The people are going to yeah. die. Their, their story's kind of like, you know, we know where They're that's done. going. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> but even the dad, the the Jimmy, um, when he tried to commit suicide, it was a very big fail. So it'd be interesting to see. Like, Well, I mean, his, his, a... I mean, his house catches on fire, so. But even then, you never know. Uh, he's I know he could... he's got he's got dead frogs all over his face. I'm pretty sure. He's <laughs> I get that. I too get that. But again, it could be because there is a fire, because there is an alert for frogs in general that they could be looking. So what, it's what, just one of those things. Like, what, no you, uh, what you didn't see is that uh, actually several of those frogs survived the fall, <laughs> and they just ate his body before he yeah. burnt to death. You hope so. You hope that he like dies. But realistically, you never even know. Like I know they caught fire, but. Because they're on high alert, because of everything else, there's no conclusion. There's no actual conclusion. Like it's all hypothetical. Everything that we've learned is hypothetical. That's I'll all keep, we know. Uh, I will keep my frog eating uh, pe- uh, pedophile head cannon, and you can keep your uh, everybody ha- is happy. Head I never, I never said everybody's happy. I just said in general, like we don't know <laughs> how the ending happens because he could be saved and go through criminal charges. And there's other things that could happen. Wouldn't, and it be, wouldn't it be great if he got tried with half his face burn off, though? That would be pretty good. It would, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's no conclusion to any of these stories. You can literally make up your own ending for a lot of these stories. There's no actual um, for sure conclusion. Everything that you see is brought up to what you have been informed with. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this P.T. Anderson guy, he really needs to re- learn how to write a story of an ending. Fuck, <laughs> piece of shit. There is God no ending. You're absolutely right. There is no ending. Go back to screenwriting class. Exactly. Because <laughs> even Julian Moore, who like was in the process of dying, the car, the the, the ambulance flipped and caused like a mount, crazy amount of chaos. And uh, she was still called for the stepson to come check on her. Um. Yeah, that's another, I totally forgot to bring this up. This is my last point, and then you can do whatever you want to say. But um. <laughs> I really enjoyed how they created very chaotic moments. So when the cop first met the drug addict and there's like a lot of other scenes, like when the, the interviewer met Tom Cruise and when the frogs started falling, there's a lot of chaos that happened that created anxiety. Cause when you're watching it, there's so much noise that's happening and there's no solution. Mm-hmm. And you're just watching being like, what the fuck is happening? And you f- have this feeling inside of you of like, When's it going to stop? Why can't this noise stop? Why can't I just focus on one thing? And I, I actually really enjoyed that. I <coughs> really got involved with it. Again, I probably won't watch it again. But <laughs> I did appreciate those tactics the director used. Like, anybody who really enjoys this kind of movie, I feel would really dive into this and just be so just into it. So is it just is it just the version I was watching, or are there parts of this film where the score actually overtakes the dialogue, and you actually got to turn the subtitles on to see what they're saying? I yeah, no, I it's, felt it's, like it's, I had to turn it's, the subtitles on. Yeah, yeah. it's actually. I mean, it, it, was, was it was an intentional. It was an intentional. Like it yeah, was yeah. I, I I I felt that's what it was, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I I saw that, but even the one moment, even the one moment where she had the music on so loud and the cop was there. I thought it developed a moment. Like, I really thought it developed a moment because um, she was screaming and there was this just chaos. Everything, as soon as he opened the door and everything just calmed down, even though there was a lot of music, he was just like, wow, she's beautiful. And I know it started 
totally different storyline, but I just kind of enjoyed how it made me feel like anxious. I just like turn the music down, bitch. Yeah, like, she I can't, just, and she she's just not thinking about it because she's strung out in fucking cocaine. Yeah, like, she's, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's all. all right. We probably worth uh, mentioning here, just uh, just as we're wrapping up mm-hmm. uh, on the themes of you know abuse and fathers and sons and cycles of abuse, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Fiona Apple was dating Paul Thomas Anderson at the time that this uh, film was made, mm-hmm. um, for uh, I think a year or two after that, and she actually appears in that documentary which I uh, told you about earlier. <clears throat> Lately, in the last uh, year or two, uh, she was kind of asked about uh, her relationship with PTA around this time, and she's like, oh, yeah, he was a total, total asshole. He was a totally abusive dick during the entire uh. period that they were dating. So, um, wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, great. I love Fiona Apple. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's great. She's great. Yeah. Okay, fuck you, P.T. Anderson. Anyway, uh, budget for this was $37 million, box office 48.5, so I don't even know if that's necessarily a win, because that could just be, like, that That might barely cover the uh, advertising budget when you think yeah, about it's, it. Yeah, it, this really was not, like, a box office winner, no. No. Uh, release info for this, uh, there's a 2010 Warner Blu-ray. Uh, you can get it at iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Amazon Prime, Voodoo. <coughs> Fandango now, wherever the fuck that is. Movies anywhere, and a number of DVD releases that came out uh, in the early years after this. Um, as for trivia, uh, I got a couple things here. Um, so Paul Thomas Anderson actually wanted to cast Burt Reynolds for an unspecified role in this, but Reynolds uh, became angry at Anderson during the promotional tour for Boogie Nights and turned the role down. And of course, you know, famously Reynolds didn't even want to be in Boogie Nights, which actually revitalized his career for a while. It was like, yeah. you know, uh, Burt Reynolds' his own worst enemy kind of thing. Um, <laughs> And of course, like the uh, the stories at the beginning of like all the di- weird like you know urban legend coincidences, they're all fake. None of them are actually yep. true. Um, and Tom Cruise turned down the role of Jericho Kane in End of Days from 1999, the Arnold Schwarzenegger fights the devil movie, to do yep. this film. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, excellent choice. But then imagine the version in which you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going. <laughs> <laughs> you must respect the cock and tame the cunt. <laughs> respect the cock, tame the cunt. Yeah. You, you have to be a homing missile to the poontang, you see. <laughs> <laughs> you must drive your enemies before you. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> Lamentations of the women and all that, you know, yeah. Um, and, of course, uh, although this, this sort of came in late in the script, apparently... Um, a lot of like the religious stuff was like from other sources that P.T. Anderson was right reading, yeah. not necessarily the Bible or anything. But uh, Exodia, uh, Exodus, Exodus 8 2 from the King James Version of the Bible reads If thou refuses to let go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. So it's just talking about um, the. Uh, Plague of frogs raining down, a people, kind of thing. Gross. And, and of course, it, of course, it, it, there, it, I, there I are think a whole it, lot of references to eights and twos and X's yeah, and everywhere. A few times in the film, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, although I will say, like the uh, <coughs> you know, frogs 
and other animals being lifted out of ponds by by you know like uh, weather fronts and shit and then like falling and raining is a thing that happens but to the extent that it happens in this movie i don't think so like the the entire yeah. city was basically coated with frogs it's like where did you find that many frogs where, that was, what? <laughs> it was kind of cool they did that like they talked about the whole weather front the whole time and again there's frogs mm-hmm like when I saw the frogs, I'm like, oh, I see why they brought the weather front up. Yeah, that so P.T. I, Anderson, I, real, real clever, real clever writer. It was, it was like, like a small thing. I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't care for him now after I heard everything. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's an incredibly talented filmmaker who is, you know, a piece not the nicest person. It's which a lot is of unfortunately <laughs> common. Unfortunately, yeah, it's insanely common. Welcome to Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the more I learn about it, the more it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyways, go on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, what are we doing next? Well, I've got the uh, I've got the DVD. I've still got to uh, uh, get these to you. The Glenda Farrell triple feature here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if we can uh, make that happen, then I think we should do that. And awesome. these three films combined are about the length of the one that we watched this week. So, okay, yeah. that works. <laughs> <coughs> I can do that. Yeah. I'm two separate. Apologies, times. apologies for uh, making you guys watch it. It's okay. Now. I have a no, pretty short attention span. Still difficult, but I did still it. enjoyed it. It was too long, but I enjoyed it. So I mean, yeah. uh, I thought the know. directing was good as much mm. as yeah. He's and in shit. and in like previous in like recent more recent interviews because at the time he was like this fucker is as long as it needs to be and like it's one second you can't cut a single second of it and uh, in later interviews he was he's been asked about it and like like for the 20 year anniversary he was like he did a, like a reddit ama thing and it's like what's the what's the one thing that you would do uh differently in my knowing and he's like chill the fuck out and cut 30 minutes probably gotta make sure everything's perfect <laughs> mm. uh so uh lady lee is there any places anyone can find you anything you're doing anything Nothing. What's going uh, on? Okay, so um, I think the most frequent thing you can find me is on here, this channel. Um, mm-hmm. And also, uh, if you check out Redbeard on YouTube, because I have done many live streams with him. I've done a few, few beer reviews with him. Definitely check him out. Yeah. You know him, Lee. And definitely... Yeah. Yeah. He is he is a co-host on Cape Shit on this. Yeah, so he deserves a definite. He absolutely deserves a shout out because I am the reason. The reason I'm here is because of him. So, yeah. Yeah, it's your fault, Carrie. You hear that? You, if it's you're listening true. to this, you'd be piece of shit. Yeah, um, you guys can blame him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? <coughs> Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel E. Harper. If you want to come be one of the few people who's followed me lately. Actually, uh, quite a few people have followed me lately. Mm-hmm. Because as the world gets worse, my Twitter following gets larger. That's that's the way it goes. But that's because I do another podcast. Um, if the material in this film was not dark enough for you and you need <laughs> darker material. Um, if you want to learn about, about Nazis, the world of white supremacists and white power advocates in the 21st century and previous, uh, go check out my other podcast. I don't speak German. That's at I don't speak German. Lipson.com. It's a fun time. Yeah. I'm following it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to find more of this stuff, um, all of our other podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, go to tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our YouTube, Facebook, and all of our other links. And uh, join the Facebook group. Best way to get in contact with us, leave us comments, uh, give suggestions for films to watch, all that good stuff. Tell us how crap we are. Tell us how good we are. 
um, you know, everything. Criticism. Open it up. Tell, criticize Lady Lee. Tell, tell her how good she is or how terrible she is on this podcast. Let her tell know. your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell everybody. Like mm-hmm. at least tell your enemies. So they tell their friends, and then we have a bigger following. So exactly, <laughs> it all it all it all boosts the yeah. algorithm or whatever. Negative know. or positive, as long as we get more viewers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but until next time, uh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Lee, and thank, thank you, you all for listening. And uh, we will catch you guys soon. Goodbye. Bye. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. experience you'll ever know yes it's the saddest experience you'll ever know because one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do one is the loneliest number that you'll ever know Our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you, drive through.